more time with me. You are perfect in all of your ways. Perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your Good morning, Southview. We are so glad you're here worshiping with us today. Here are your big three announcements for the week. If you have someone in your family who's getting ready to graduate, please help us celebrate their hard work and achievement by participating in Graduation Sunday, happening June 4th during both services. Simply text the word GRAD to our number 910-424-1298. You can submit up to three pictures of your grad, which are due by the deadline of May 7th. If you have any additional questions, please feel free to call our church office at 910-424-1298. Next up, child dedication. If you'd like to dedicate your child to the Lord, simply text the word CHILD to the number 910-424-1298. Child dedication services will take place this coming Mother's Day, Sunday, May 14th, during both services. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but have never been baptized, please text the word BAPTISM to 910-424-1298. Baptism Sunday will take place Sunday, May 21st at both services. Please join with us in publicly celebrating your profession of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Next, we encourage you to download the Southview Baptist Church app, available in both iTunes and Google Play. This will allow you to view upcoming announcements, sign up for events, find a journey group, listen to past sermons, as well as to find the sermon notes for today. There are also multiple ways to give here at Southview. You can give online, through the app, or at the giving boxes located near the doors as you exit the sanctuary. And finally, if you're a guest with us today, we are so glad you're here. We would love to connect with you. To help us accomplish this, please simply text the word CONNECT to 910-424-1298. This will help us to get to know you a little better, figure out how we can be praying for you and how to best minister to you. Thank you for joining us as we worship together our great God. We pray that you're blessed by this service. Amen. Well, good morning, church. How is everyone today? I am so, so excited to worship. I want to remind you what we're singing about and why we're singing these things. We're singing about the goodness of God. We're singing about how He is able. We're singing about how as believers that we are hidden in Christ and we have overcome through the blood of the Lamb. So as you sing these songs, I pray that you would ponder those truths in your heart. I pray that your life and my life, however however broken they have been or are, that we would continue to run, run towards the prize that is Jesus the Christ, knowing that in him we have been made whole, we have been made complete. God calls us holy. He calls us worthy. And if you're here, brothers and sisters, and you've never heard the gospel today, I pray today is the day that God would enable you to respond and you would respond in full obedience and say yes Lord you are worthy of me dedicating my entire life God seeks his glory above all other things and let's give that to him today stand with me and let's sing and celebrate
Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. The only thing that you and I have to fear, church, is the condemnation of God, right? 
that's the only thing really, if we think about it logically, the only thing we have to fear is God. And for those that don't know Christ, if you're in this room and you've never heard the gospel or you've never accepted it, we're glad you're here. And here's the truth, that you stand condemned already. It's not that something's coming, it's that it's already here. But for those of us that believe, you have been cleaned, you have been set free, you have been washed in the blood. Because of the goodness of God, because God is able, Christ has overcome all obstacles. And so when you and I are in Christ, we have overcome all obstacles. So my prayer for you and for myself is that we would live and walk in this truth. So the righteousness of God would come out in our hearts and impact the entire world for the glory of God. Let's sing, we have overcome.
Jesus, we just, we thank you that you are victorious and mighty and strong. We ask you, Jesus, today as we just open up your word, we ask you, Lord, that you would speak so clearly to us. We thank you, Jesus, that you have overcome through your blood, through our confession and testimony of you and who you are, dying on our behalf. We now overcome through you. Thank you, Jesus. I pray that you would empower us today by your spirit to see and receive all that you have for us, for your glory. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. Welcome to you guys. If you are a guest with us, we're glad that you're here. My name is Brad. I am the pastor here at Southview, and it's good to have you worshiping with us today. If you've got a Bible, let's find Colossians chapter 3 together. Um, we're in a series we're calling Jesus is Greater Than Everything, and it's going through the book of Colossians and showing how Jesus is truly greater than everything. And when you see Jesus for who he is, when, you, when uh, the book of Colossians shows us how colossal Jesus is, and when you see how great and glorious and amazing and beautiful Jesus is, then, then you're changed by him, right? The parable of Jesus I've used often during this series is Matthew 13, 44, where Jesus says that a man was in a field and he found treasure, and, and it was an amazing treasure, so he buried it in the ground and went and sold everything he had so he can go and buy that field and take that treasure. And, and the idea behind the parable is when you see Jesus for the treasure that he is, you will gladly give up everything in this world to get him. So the book of Colossians walks us through that. It breaks down into two sections, chapters 1 and 2, show us who Jesus is. He's our creator, our sustainer, our savior, our Lord, our life giver. He is our everything. He is huge and amazing and glorious and powerful and awesome. And then it switches gears in chapters 3 and 4. It says, okay, now that you see who Jesus is, here's how you should now live. Right? It, it, it shows us how to live out this life. Um, what I want you to see today is that Jesus Christ impacts and changes everything in your life. What we're going to see today is how Jesus impacts the 90% of your life not in this room. Uh, oftentimes we think of Christianity like waffles instead of pancakes. Um, how many of you are a waffle person? How many of you like waffles? All right, pancake people. Pancake people, awesome. How many of you put waffles on top of your pancakes? Anybody? Those folk, awesome. Put a little bacon on top and syrup. It's amazing. So the thing with waffles is, right, you got all the little compartments. And so you pour the syrup in, and all the syrup stays in the nice, neat little compartments. But then you got pancakes. You pour syrup on pancakes. It goes everywhere. gets all over your plate. gets in your bacon, which is awesome. Isn't that so good? What I want you to see today is that Jesus, following Jesus, track with me, it's a pancake, not a waffle, all right? For many of us, you have compartments in your life. You've created these little compartments. This is the compartment for my family, and this is the compartment for my work, and this is the compartment for Jesus. And what I want you to see from the scriptures today is that there aren't separate buckets to go in. There's only one bucket, and his name is Jesus, and everything fits into him. Uh, Colossians chapter 3. Look real quick up at verses 1 and 2. So we did this several weeks ago. If you missed this sermon, you can go online and and, uh, grab the podcast. Colossians 3 verse 1. 
If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Look at verse 2. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things on earth. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. What he's saying is this. Look, put everything in the Jesus bucket. Don't set your mind on the things of this earth. Does that mean you don't go to work? Of course you go to work. You don't think about your family? Of course you think about your family. But you do all of that now within the context of Jesus. I set my mind on Jesus. I set my heart on Jesus. And I do everything else through that. So that's what we're going to see here in Colossians. All right? We're going to see how Jesus changes and impacts the other 90% of your life outside of this room. And if you're really a follower of Christ... This is going to be impactful. Uh, so there are two things I want you to see real quick before we jump into the text. All right, Two kind of foundational truths that are going to guide us as we go through the passage today. All right, Number one is this. Following Christ impacts your day-to-day relationships. Following Christ impacts and changes how you interact with everyone else in your life outside of this room. What we're going to see in the passage today is it's going to speak to wives and husbands and kids and fathers and bond servants and masters. Sort of um, rapid fire. Boom, 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 boom. And in all of that, what he's trying to show us here is this. Following Jesus Christ makes you a different wife and a different mom and a different husband and a different dad and a different child and a different employer and employee. Following Jesus makes you different. It makes your house different. It makes your family different. It makes your work environment different. It makes your friendships different. Following Jesus ought to legitimately change you. And the second thing that we're going to see is your relationships are more about you and Jesus than you and the other person. As we go through this passage, you're going to see seven times, seven times in this passage, as it's talking about wives and husbands and moms and dads and kids and bond servants and masters, as it's talking about all of those people and all those interactions and all of those different interpersonal things, seven times it's going to use some expression like in the Lord. Do this in the Lord. Do this for the Lord. Do this by the Lord. Do this for the glory of the Lord. So it's going to talk about these interpersonal relationships, but it's going to do it within the context of, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not so much about you and your wife. It's about you and Jesus. And it's not so much about you and your kid. It really is about you and Jesus. And as you grow in Jesus, now you're empowered to see God do something in these other relationships. All right, so let's jump in together. Colossians chapter 3. We're going to pick it up in verse 18. And God is a gentleman. So, ladies first. Colossians 3, verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Aren't you so glad that doesn't need any explanation at all? I love that. I love the easy ones. So, wives, submit to your husbands. Real quick, what is a submission? What, well, what submission is not? All right? So, biblical submission is not... Uh, being okay with abuse. That's not biblical submission. Right? Biblical submission is not a teaching that women are in some way inferior to men. It's not biblical submission. 
Ladies, biblical submission is not, fine, I'll submit as long as he does what I want him to do. Right? It's not a reward for his good behavior. What is biblical submission? Biblical submission is voluntarily and joyfully placing yourself under the authority of your husband because you love and serve and worship Jesus. I'm going to unpack that one more time. Biblical submission as a wife, voluntarily and joyfully, we'll chat about that in a second, voluntarily and joyfully placing themselves under the authority of their husband because they ultimately love, worship, and adore Jesus. So look again at verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands. Notice it did not say wives, obey your husbands. Here's why. That would have been an understood reality in first century Roman culture. There was never a thought process that a wife would just, a husband would say, I would like for you to do this or do this. And the wife just went, nope, not going to do it. This is not a thing that would have happened. He doesn't say obey because that's not the point. He uses the word submission. And here's why that's significant. Because it's not about you doing the act, it's about the heart. It's not about your hands, it's about your heart. And what he's telling here in the word submission is, I want you to not just do what your husband is asking you to do. I want you to voluntarily place yourself under submission to him because you love and worship Jesus. That's why he says there at the end of verse 18, wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. This is right in the Lord. This is what God wants you to do. This fits. This is right. This is good. This would have, and and I know we we love to think that the world was so different back then, but this would have flown in the face of first century Colossian women, just like it does 21st century Cumberland County women. Okay? Same thing. You want me to, excuse me, what? I'm sorry, I'm sorry, what was that? I, I, I didn't hear that. What was that? Wives, submit to your husband. Because this is fitting and right in the Lord. Ladies, listen. You submit to your husband not because he's awesome. And not because he gets it right all the time. And not because you even deem him worthy of it. You submit to your husband because you have given your life to Jesus Christ and you trust Jesus above everything else. You submit to your husband because you trust Jesus more than you trust your husband. Again, that's what I tried to explain to us before we jump into the text. That's why I was trying to set the stage. It's about you and Jesus more than it is about you and him. And I know there are some really difficult situations in the room with a lot of people that can raise their hand and go, wait a second, my situation is funky, and I totally get that. I totally get that. But what the clear teaching from God's word is here is this. Wives, submit to your husbands because this is right and fitting before God. You're going to stand one day, stand before the Lord, and he's going to ask you about this. 
and you're going to say, yeah, but he, blah, 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 and God is going to say, yep, but aren't I greater than he? Aren't I better than he? Don't you trust me? Submit to your husbands, not because they're great, but because God is great. This is fitting to God. Then it goes to husbands in verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Let's circle two words there that are very important. Love and harsh. Let's unpack those just for a moment. Love. This is the Greek word agape. It's the same word that describes God's love for us. John 3.16. For God so agape the world that he gave his only begotten son. This is a sacrificial, laying down, service love. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. The word harsh literally means bitter. So what it's saying is this. Don't... Here's how it practically works. Husbands, all day long, you're dealing with junk. You're taking it on, and 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 you're taking it on. You drive home, you open up the front door, you walk inside, and usually the one who gets unloaded on is your wife. They become the one who receives the brunt of the bitterness that's been built up all day long. So you become harsh towards them. You can't tell him what you really think. You can't tell her what you really think. You just take it in and take it in and take it in and take it in, and then you go home and you verbally explode on your wife. This is why it says here in Colossians 3.19, Husbands, love your wife. Lay your life down for her. Love her. Sacrifice for her. Care for her. Give yourself to her. Serve her. Don't be harsh. Don't be embittered. Don't be rude. Don't fly off the handle. Don't verbally throw up. Love. And and what I want you to notice as you see connecting verses 18 and verses 19, the wives and the husbands. If a wife is seeking to submit and serve her husband, and a husband is seeking to love and serve his wife, guess what happens? Everyone is getting lifted up. right? No one is left behind. Everyone is being cared for. Everyone is being blessed. Everyone is being served. This is the point. Wives, husbands, as you grow in Christ, and you seek to glorify and honor Christ in your marriage, now you're loving her and she's serving and submitting to you, and everyone is being blessed and lifted up. God-glorifying biblical marriages are the marriages that are the most fun, that are the most fulfilling, that are the most joyful. Marriages that are seeking to live in ways that are biblically based and biblically grounded and glorifying to God. Are they perfect? No. Does he say stupid things? Yes. Does she respond in inappropriate ways? Yeah. Is that a thing that's going to happen? Yeah. 
But as you look at the overall trajectory of the marriage, marriages that seek to have a wife that submits to her husband and a husband that seeks to love and sacrifice himself for his wife, these are the marriages that over the long term have the most, statistically speaking, these are the kind of marriages that rates their happiness higher than those who don't. God did this for a reason. God set this up for a reason. Our marriages are to be different so that God can be glorified, we can be blessed, and the world can see how good Jesus is. So then it goes on, not just husbands and wives, in verse 20, children, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. So the word obey It's the same word used for a doorman that hears a knock on the door and immediately goes to the door to answer, right? The idea is you hear something and you immediately go to answer, all right? So here's what this means practically for kids. You ready? This means when kids, and by kids I mean elementary, middle school, high school, right? Listen to me. Here's what this means. When your parents tell you to do something, you... Do it. Right? I'll say it again because I know intention spans are short. So, when your parents tell you to do a thing, you immediately do the thing. And it says there in verse 20, children obey your parents in, and all the parents said, everything. Like all the things. Well, surely there's a, no, no, that's, that's everything. Children, obey your parents in the Lord in, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. So let's unpack this just for a quick second. Children obeying parents. What, what, what's going on with this? Why is this there? It says that it pleases the Lord, right? So this brings pleasure to God. This brings joy to God. Not doing this uh, grieves the heart of God, right? So you do it because as a Christian, whether you're 9, 12, 16, whatever, as a Christian, you want to please God. You want to glorify God. And the way that you do that is by obeying your parents. But there is a second thing that I think is extremely important, and I want to take just a second and dive into it, okay? So Colossians 3.20, children obey your parents. Uh, This kind of stems from the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. It's going to be the fifth commandment, which says, honor your father and your mother. So let me break down the Ten Commandments really quickly and explain this to you. So there are Ten Commandments. Um, In sort of biblical theology, what we would say is it breaks down into what they call two tablets. The first four and the second six. The first four commandments, you know, no other gods before me, make no graven image, um, do not take the Lord's name in vain, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Those are considered vertical commandments. It's about you and God, all right? The first tablet, the first four commandments, you and God, right? This is how your relationship with God should go. The second tablet, commandments five through, or four through, no, yeah, five through ten, are about you and other people. Right? So the first tablet, you and God. Get that straight. Second, 
from that, you and everybody else. And this is kind of the way that God's always taught us, right? Um, in uh, the Gospels, Matthew 22, Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment, right? First commandment, first and greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself, right? Vertical, then we go horizontal. Colossians, the book of Colossians that we're in, what do we see? The first two chapters, it's about you and Jesus, seeing who Jesus is. Second two chapters, you and other people, what that means for you and everybody else, right? So this is the consistent teaching of how God teaches how to be changed in this world. It starts with you and him, and then it translates over to you and everybody else. But here's what I want you to get. This is the important thing for us today. Back to the Ten Commandments. First four commandments, you and God. And then it switches gears to you and everybody else. And as it switches gears to how you interact with everybody else in this world, the very first relationship it hits is mom and dad. And that is not an accident. That's on purpose. That is by design. The one relationship that God has given you as a foundational training ground for the rest of your life is your parents. Listen. Kids, listen to me very carefully. If you consistently struggle to obey your parents, you will grow up to consistently struggle to obey God. That is a thing that's going to happen. You cannot spend your growing up years consistently disobeying your parents and think that you magically flip a switch to now obey God. It's not the way it works. If you do not obey your parents who are physically standing in front of you, how in the world are you going to obey an invisible God you can't see? How is that going to happen? God has given you parents as a training ground for obedience and submission. It's obeying your parents is not just this thing that you should do because if you don't, they're going to beat you, right? That's not what it's about. You obey your parents because this is the ground level foundational teaching God has placed in your life for you to be able to grow up and obey him. Does that make sense? Like, it's not about you obeying your parents because you should or you obeying your parents because you don't want bad things to happen. I want you to hear me. You obeying your parents today is about your eternal soul. It's about your soul. If you can't get this right today, you will not magically get it right with God when you grow up. It's not a thing that's going to happen. This is pivotal. God has given you this relationship for a couple of reasons. Number one, you need them. Look, I lo- look Uncle Brad loves you, all right? But listen to me, okay? You're not as smart as you think you are. Like you're just not. Like the word teenager is a Greek word that literally means, what were you thinking? Like you don't know things. You don't know things. Your parents have lived lives and made mistakes. And done stupid things. And had to dig themselves out of ridiculous holes that they dug for themselves. They've had to do that. And they desperately don't want you to do the same thing. So they come to you and they say, I don't think you should do that. I think you should do this. I think you should stay away from that person. I think you should actually hang out with those people. I think you should like it. 
because God has given them to you because you need guidance. And, and secondly, God has given them to you because you need a training ground to obey when you don't want to obey. Because par- uh, adults, listen, correct? God tells you to do things you flat out don't want to do. Yes? I mean, I know we're in church, we're supposed to lie and go, no, I always want to obey God. No, you don't. No, you don't. Forgive that person. I don't want to forgive that person. Yeah, I actually wasn't asking for a vote. I just said forgive them. Stop that sin. But I like that sin. Once again, not voting. Not a democracy. Not a democracy. Stop doing that. Right? You're going to grow up and be an adult, and God's going to command you to do things you don't want to do. And if you haven't learned to obey parents and things you don't want to do that they tell you, you're not magically going to flip that switch. Right? This is on purpose. It's by design. Obey your parents. Obey them. One, it keeps you out of trouble. Two, it prepares and equips you for a life that brings glory and honor to God. Like, it's a good thing. Obey your parents. All right, and I expect the tithe today to be really good, right? You owe me for that one. (laughs) But then it, 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 it flips the coin. Verse 21, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Um, In the Ephesians um, uh, reference to this verse, it says, do not provoke your children to wrath. Uh, This just says plainly, do not provoke your children. And it says fathers. I think it can expand out to, to Fathers and mothers, but it does specifically mention fathers here, which I think is is important and significant. It says, fathers, do not provoke. Do not provoke your children. The word provoke means to literally to poke. Don't poke. Don't poke. Don't poke. Don't provoke your children. Why? Lest they become discouraged. The word discouraged means broken-spirited, broken-hearted. So here's the way this works. Um, and, and a lot of times it comes from a, a right heart and desire, right? Again, as parents, we've made mistakes, we've fallen in holes, we've done things, we want our kids to have better lives than we had. Um, the book of Psalms talks about children being like arrows in a warrior's hand. You shoot them off. You want to shoot your kid off farther than you could have ever gone, um, doing more damage for the kingdom of God than you could have ever done, right? You want your kids to be better in life than you had it. Like, you want all that. It's a good thing. But sometimes in our zeal to have that, we can become super critical. And listen, I, I stand up here as your king when it comes to this, all right? I get it. It's very easy to just, well, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And what about this? You should have done that better. Why not this? Why You did this, but why are you doing it that way? And it, it's really easy to fall into that. It's really easy. Because, again, kids are kids. Kids don't know what they're doing, and kids make mistakes. Right? That's what they do. They give it their best shot. They try to clean up the milk, and they make an even bigger mess. Right? That's, by definition, what they do. And there is ample opportunity. It is a target-rich environment if you wanted to be critical of your kids. Like, that is not a hard thing to do. Right? There is ample opportunity for us to go, nope, 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 nope. It's really easy. 
But what the Scriptures is going to warn us here against is when we do that, we can run the risk of breaking their hearts and breaking their spirits. We can run the risk of of, of so wanting them to, to, to have a good life and walk the right path. And that, that, that in, our, in our zeal to, to hold tight and make sure they're going to be good, we, we crush them. And I think, again, it could be moms and dads. Moms, you don't get out on this one. Moms and dads. But I do think it's significant that they, they specifically pointed out fathers. Because everybody wants dad's approval. Everybody wants it. Um, the uh, Acts 29, it's a church planting network, and so they raise up church planters to send them out, and, and they come in for a big like boot camp week or whatever. And one of the things that they do is they sit all the church planters down with a counselor, and the first question is, okay, so tell me about your dad issues. He's like, I don't have any. Listen, I got an appointment right after you. I really don't have time right now. So tell me about your dad stuff. Because as fathers, man, we are, we are woefully imperfect, but man, we're super important. And so there are times where we try to help, and, it, and we become overbearing, and then we say, okay, well, then I'm going to let them go, and we take our hands off too much, and it, it can be a bit of a juggling thing, right? But I think it's significant that it specifically says fathers, listen, dads, be cautious here, be mindful here, don't don't slip into poke, 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 poke. Because you're going to break your kid's heart. It, and that's going to manifest out in a couple of ways, right? For some kids, they're just going to say, forget it, I'm done. I'm just going to flunk out and be nothing, right? And other kids go, go the opposite direction, and they'll spend the rest of their life desperately trying to um, uh, earn you approval, your approval, and it doesn't matter now how often you say you're proud of them, they never actually believe you. Right? They, you, we broke their hearts, man. We broke their hearts. And so I want to encourage dads here. Again, as followers of Jesus Christ, it should impact everything that we do, including being dads. Moms as well, as followers of Jesus Christ, it should impact everything you do, including being a mom. And so in that... I want to ask moms and dads, how does God parent you? He disciplines. Hebrews 12 says, look, no discipline is, feels right at the time. No, it, it never feels pleasant. It's always painful. But it produces a harvest of righteousness for those who are trained by it. It's not easy, but it accomplishes something good. But God loves you and parents you out of grace and compassion and love and mercy. And yes, he disciplines. And yes, he corrects. And, but he does it with grace. He does it with grace. And I want to encourage you, as parents, we just want to take time to say, Lord, I pray that you would show me fresh how you deal with me so that I can deal with my kids like that. Show me fresh how you love me. Show me fresh how you deal with me when I sin so that I can deal with my kids when they sin. Right? It changes us. Uh, and then last, he talks about bond servants, verse 22. So real quick, bond servants. Um, some of your translations may say bond servants, some may say slaves, some may say servants. So real quick, um, 
when we think slavery, we think sort of um, uh, North American slavery um, and, and, and what, what happened in our country and in other parts of the world even to this day. The Bible is unequivocally clear that that is wicked and sinful. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10 says that enslavers, um, human traffickers, man-stealers, I think the KJV says, these are people who do not inherit the kingdom of God, right? These are lost people. In other words, this idea of taking someone against their will and sending them off into slavery to be property of someone else. The Bible is unequivocally clear that that is sin and, and end of the story, period. However, this idea of a bond servant is really different, and it can get confusing. Um, bond servants were a different situation. It, it's, it's believed that about half the Roman population were this. They were bond servants. And so how it worked was, economically, there in the Roman Empire, you had people who were really, really, really rich and really, really, really dirt poor. There, was, there wasn't much of a middle class, right? Either there were the super haves and the super have-nots. And if you didn't have enough to be a have and you definitely didn't want to be a have-not, your best option was to give yourself to someone as a bondservant. Doctors were bondservants. Teachers were bondservants. Artists were bondservants. These were people that hired themselves to certain families and worked exclusively for that family as their master. Some were criminals, and this was their punishment. Some were um, uh, captives of war, um, so, so that's uh, you know, something that can often happen there. And then sometimes they were voluntarily, this is what I want to do. I want to serve this family. I want to serve this master. I want to give myself to them to serve in this task. And so they would voluntarily give themselves as, as bond servants. And it's interesting, so... What you see happening here in this section, we're going to talk about bond servants and masters. So in this Colossian church, they had people sitting, just like you're sitting right now. They had families in there, and they had their household servants and the masters sitting in church together. They gave their life to Jesus. They all know and love Jesus. They're all sitting there. And so now the Apostle Paul is like, hey, while I got you, let's talk about a couple of things. And so look what he says, verse 22. Bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. All right, let's talk about this just for a second. So we could talk about these bond servants, but I do think it can expand out also to just employer employee, right? It's you in work going to work tomorrow. What I think you see here is how you and I are to live in our work environments. These bond servants, like you're going to serve your masters, you're going to work for them. Here's how I want you to do that. And, and, and so I think there are a few things that we can see happening here. Number one is this. He tells them, Work hard. Do your job. Tomorrow, I want to encourage you, get up, go to work, show up. Show up on time. Work hard. Go the extra mile. Don't be drama. Don't hang out with the people who are drama. 
Have a smile on your face. Be the happy one in the office. There are things that you can do so that you are working well. And people see you as someone who works well. Second, work well for the glory of God. You see this in this passage here. They're doing it not for those who see them, their masters, but for God. Don't do it as man pleaser. Don't do it for for those who will see. Do it for God who doesn't see. Do it as unto the Lord. And do it as a ministry, as a mission field. When you go to work tomorrow, that is the mission field God has placed you in. Go there for the purpose of pointing people to Jesus. And I know some push back with that and go, no, 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 no. I can't do that. All right? Where I work, we're not allowed to, you know, talk about faith. So I'm exempt from that. I can't see my work as a mission field. Well, your problem there is going to be, I don't think these slaves had a lot of freedom to tell their masters what to think, right? The slave couldn't walk up to the master and be like, so you know that pagan God you're worshiping, you need to repent of that and turn to Jesus or you're going to go to hell. Like, I don't think that would go great. But even though they did not have freedom to speak, even though they couldn't just do whatever they wanted to do and say whatever they wanted to say, and they, didn't, they couldn't fire off an email to human resources, they had to just obey the master and live under the master. But even in that, they could do it in such a way that brings glory and honor to God, points people to Jesus, and see their work as their mission field. And then believing what it says there, that God's going to reward them for it. God will reward you even if no one else does. They don't see your hard work. They don't give you the promotion. They don't give you the raise. They don't do those things. You don't get the attaboy. But God's going to reward you. And then in chapter 4, verse 1, he flips over to the masters. Masters, treat your bond servants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Treat them justly and fairly. Treat as, a, as an employer, as a boss, if you have people under, serving underneath you, working underneath you, what kind of boss are you? Are you just and fair and right? Are you kind and compassionate? Are you clear in the way that you lead? Do you hold people accountable when they need to be held accountable? Do you lead in a way where there's a good culture in your office and not a bad culture? Do people around you enjoy working for you? Be a good boss. Why? Verse 1 would say, because you have a master. And he will hold you account also. You will have to give an account to him about the way that you led. As we see this, what I want you to see is again, the two things that I told you earlier, let's circle back around, let's see them one more time. I want you to see this. Number one, following Christ will impact your day-to-day relationships. So let me ask you a question. Are you a different husband today because of Jesus? Are you a different wife today because of Jesus? Are you a different parent today because of Jesus? Are you a different child Because of Jesus. A different employer, employee, because Jesus has made you different. Following Christ 
will impact these relationships. Has it impacted yours? The point is that you are to be different. And your family looks different. And your work looks different. And the way you interact with people looks different. It just, it's just change because Jesus has changed you. And the way you're going to grow in those relationships, the way you're going to develop in those relationships is by, secondly, focusing on your relationship with Christ. So that is where I want us to end today. I mentioned at the beginning of the service, again, Colossians 3, 2. Set your mind on the things that are above where Jesus is. Is everything in the Jesus bucket? Have you surrendered all to Jesus? Have you given all to Jesus? Have you given him your heart and your soul and your mind? Everything is his. It's all his. And he can do with it whatever he wants. And as a result of that, you're different now. That's what we're going to challenge you with right now. Right now, have you given Christ your everything? Have you submitted to him everything? Do you seek to live a life that brings glory and honor just to him? And as a result of that, you're different in everything else. Your relationships are different. Your interactions are different. Your marriage is different. Your family is different. Not perfect, but man, you are not who you used to be because Christ has made you Or maybe today you need to trust by faith in Christ. Maybe you look at your relationships as a a wife, a husband, as a parent, as a child. You look at that and go, I'm struggling in these relationships. And I think it's because I've never actually trusted by faith in Jesus. I can't obey my parents because I've not been changed by Jesus. I can't submit to my husband because I've not been changed and made new by Jesus. I can't love my wife because I don't know what it's like to be loved by Jesus. I've got to become a Christian. Today, trust by faith in Christ. Jesus came and he died and he rose again so that you can be made new. Today, simply just say, Jesus, I... I give you my everything. I give you my life. I give you my sin. I give you my shame. I give you my past. I give you everything. I know that you died and rose again for me. Forgive me of my sins and make me new. My life is yours. And for those of you who are followers of Christ today, fresh again, I encourage you, take time to say, Jesus, I give you my heart, my mind, my soul, my life, my family, my everything. Just like Matthew 13, 44, you sell everything off to get Jesus because you know he's going to change you and make you new. So, Lord God, do this in us today. Show us the areas in our life that we need to still surrender to you. May we be changed by you, Jesus, for your glory. We need you in this. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. My prayer, my hope, church, is, is, is that you have heard the word today, and as I struggle to apply it to my life, that you would join me in the struggle to apply it to your life, right? Because the truth is, everybody has something to work on. We are all, if we are believers, complete and holy in Christ, and yet we are in the flesh, so we are in between already done and not yet accomplished. So I would encourage you, to respond today as the Lord moves you to, to worship Him either by standing and singing, confessing, praying with one another, 
but in all things, in all things, may we treat this time together as holy and worship a holy God. In Christ's name.
us as holy, that we would learn from your instruction, from your word. God, I pray that you would make us a holy people, set apart, holy priests in a broken world. God, we love you. We thank you for these truths. In Christ's name, amen. You guys have a great week. We love you. Praise the man.